I am Groot. It's better, better amplified. I am Groot. I did that first service. I was really impressed with my impersonation of Groot. That was good. Uh, you're like, well, that's a weird way to start church. Yes, welcome to Village Church. It's, uh, it's my new introduction. I'm going to do impressions every time. No. Um, hey, I want to... So, Maybe you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy. I had a really exciting time with my mom this last week. Uh, we got to watch Guardians of the Galaxy together, which is uh, my mom and I, we share an affinity for the same types of movies, and uh, I just love sharing that experience with her. Um, I just, I didn't realize she hadn't seen it. So for Christmas last year, I sent her this little baby Groot planter thing, like a Chia pet, but baby Groot. And uh, she called me, and she's like, Michael? What is this thing? <laughs> like, what? You have not seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, she came down for Thanksgiving. We had some downtime. So we watched not only Guardians of the Galaxy 1, we watched Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, which is awesome. And she loved it. It was great. But one of my favorite characters in Guardians of the Galaxy is Groot. If you don't know, Groot is a tree that can fight. <laughs> right? Let's look at the first picture. This is Groot, as we're introduced to Groot in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. And uh, he only says one phrase. I am Groot. That's all he says. Um, but it means different things. He's got one buddy who understands him, but that's it. Um, but at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 1, uh, Groot... The, the, the guardians, these heroes that are saving the galaxy, uh, are in big trouble, and it looks like all is lost. And then Groot, this tree that can fight, and like when his limbs cut off, he just grows it back. Um, he sh creates this ball of protection around all the other guardians. And his buddy looks at him and says, what? This will kill you. And he says, guess what he says? Yes, see, you're paying attention. <laughs> he says, I am Groot. Oh, no, yeah, boom. He says, we are Groot. That's good. That's, they just changed my sermon. We're going to talk about that now. Uh, that's awesome. I forgot that. Yeah, he says, we are Groot. Well, in this whole protection, this idea that, yeah, he crashes and Groot dies. But, you know, my favorite thing about the Marvel movies, at the end of the credits, you have the extra scene, right? If you are patient to wait long enough. Now there's like two end credit scenes in some of the movies. But uh, if you didn't know that, you're like, oh, I gotta go find them. They're on YouTube, you can go find them. But uh, one of the ends of the scenes, we, we get a glimmer of hope. And this is the picture at the end of the credit scene of the first movie. Baby Groot, a new Groot. So there was a remnant of Groot that his buddy saved. And he planted Groot, and baby Groot was there. And then at the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, we get to introduced to mischievous toddler Groot. And this is the picture of the, this is baby Groot, or baby Groot as a dancing around, getting into trouble at the introductory scene of Guardian, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Themes in movies like this, where we have this, the death of a hero and then, the hope of a new life. They, they really get to us, don't they? I, I believe that's because we are made in the image of God and this is the way God has designed us and we know there's something profoundly true about the reality that when things are at their darkest, there's 
always a reason for hope. When things seem lost, there's always, we need a hope. We long for a hope. And that's what baby Groot represents. It, it reminds me of the hope of new life that we're promised in Christ. 2 Corinthians five sixteen and 17 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Remember that. We're going to talk about that later. Regard no one according to your eyes and ears. Regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We serve a king of second chances. We serve a king of new beginnings and new life. One of our favorite ministries, one of the things we're really proud of here at Village Church is um, Chuck Seeley when he formed Village Resources. We're going to ask Chuck to come up and share a little bit about Village Resources right now. Um, Chuck, we're going to be on this main camera here, so we want to talk to our online church friends. And, uh, um, but Village Resources is a ministry that, uh, was, uh, that, ju- that Chuck um, just responded to God's call in his life in retirement after 25 years working for the Oregon Department of Corrections. Um, he just has a deep conviction from what he's seen and what the studies show and just what he believes that, um, that prisoners deserve new life. Because they're made in the image of God. Amen? And so he helps them. He works with them. Months before they ever get out, he's working with them to connect them, to help them have a landing spot. Because the one fundamental thing that we've learned about how to reduce recidivism, uh, people returning to prison over and over again, is helping them establish community. And so Village Resources uh, helps by providing bikes, backpacks, Boots, Bibles, and cell phones. I really want that to start with a B. I say that every time, but B cell phones? No. Um, and if you'll notice, we have, a church, we have these church tags, or these tree tags, um, for, because we need more boots. We need to have a stock of boots ready to go. The fruit of, of Chuck's ministry has not only helped hundreds of, of people connect to community and get kind of their feet on the ground with boots on. Um, but we've had 30 people baptized through Chuck's ministry. We ordained Chuck as a minister of the gospel last year. And the cool thing is, like, right, right when we did that, the chaplain from the Sani Am Correctional Facility went on a three-month sabbatical, and Chuck got to step in and, and, and fill in for him while he was gone. So that was a huge blessing, too. So yep. I did it again. I just talked, no, said what you are going to say. But I'm... I want to say, Mike, all the years I've been listening to you, that was one of your best segues, the Groot segue. Yeah. I enjoyed that. that was I am great. Groot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Village Resources. Uh, Mike talks about second chance. And actually, it's a lot about restoration, restoring these individuals, uh, their relationship with their families, restoring them back in the community. And one of the things that we help them with um, when they get out of prison is trying to connect them with resources so they can become employed. And uh, when I'm reviewing their uh, applications, I look at that and we ask them a question about what their needs are. And one of the primary needs for individuals coming out of prison in this climate who are wanting to work are boots. And last Wednesday, I met one of the guys. I bought him boots. And when he came out of the restoration house in Salem, this is an example of the shoes that he was wearing, soaking wet. 
totally inappropriate to, to, to even apply for a job. So one of the things we do, among other things that Mike has mentioned, is um, that we feel is critical, and that, that's based on the feedback we get from them, is we get them sturdy boots. So I think that's what we're going to be looking to do. Yep, okay. So Grab a tree tag on your way out. If for our friends online, if you'd like to contribute, you can go to uh, you can go to our church website, avillage.church, and there's a giving category for Village Resources, or you could go directly to Village Resources website, which is villageresources.org. Villageresources.org, and you can give that way. Um, you can mail us a check. We do. They are a budgeted line item in our church budget, so we do track. We do. We have money and savings for them right now that we are planning to do a uh, major fundraiser in 2022 for Village Resources. So God bless you. Thanks, man. Thanks for your work. Yeah, let's give Chuck a hand. And we're going to continue in this theme of um, second chances and, and what does it mean uh, in this foretold series, last week we talked about Jesus as the baby, how it was prophesied in the Old Testament that Jesus would come as a newborn and, and this new life would be, and that leads us to this week, um, the king. He would be our king. So this week we're going to talk about foretold Jesus as king. Um, let's pray and we're going to get into this and stay in this theme of, of new life, the shoot of Groot <laughs> and uh, second chances. So God, I thank you so much for your word and and I just pray that as we consider this holiday season, you as our king, we would have a new way of thinking of what that looks like. We'd have an idea of who we are in you and who you are and your character and what you're calling us to be, and that we would be bold and confident in sharing your love in that spirit and that vein. Amen. Okay, grab your Bible, and uh, if you open up your Bible, you'll notice the first two-thirds of your Bible is what we call the Old Testament, and the last third is the New Testament. The New Testament starts off with four books. They're called the Gospels. And these are accounts of the life of Jesus. Now, there are literally hundreds of historical documents that talk about and document the life of Jesus. But these four books are unique in that they are all have the same, they all share the same purpose of emphasizing and showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah or the King to come. And so if you're looking at the Bible and you look at the first four books of the Bible, and if you do what I did when I first started reading the Bible, I started reading it thinking it was a book, and you get to the second book, and you're like, oh, this is just repeating what the first one said, and am I, oh, am I in the wrong book, and, and what, is my Bible broken? Like, but no, it's four different accounts of the same, so there's a lot of, of similar and identical stories in all four books of the Bible. There's a lot of, of messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. Um, he was the son of God, son of a man. He was, the son, uh, he was of the line of David. Uh, he had command over the elements, like he, he could do miracles. Um, he's an eternal king. He's the light, the lamb. There's over 300 prophecies leading up to, uh, or that Jesus fulfilled. And it's shocking to think that one man fulfilled all of these. And that's just historical uh, whether or not you believe it or not, there's a historical reconciliation that has to happen with that because this isn't questioned as to whether or not he lived and these things happened and, and that he died. And so the miracles, you just got to, how do you account for those? That's just a, a 
a critical thinking exercise, but um, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to be in there for the whole service, so go ahead and turn your, turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah is about the last third of the Old Testament, so about halfway through your Bible probably as far as pages go. Um, but we're going to start at verse 11, or chapter 11, and we're going to talk about the shoot of Jesse. Now, Jesse was the father of David. Uh, David was seen as the, the greatest king, the, the one after God's own heart. Some believe that David was the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah to come, but then it was revealed that he wasn't throughout his life and his, his character. Um, but leading up to chapter 11, we've got to look back at, just I'm going to highlight a couple of things. One is in chapter 6, we get this prophecy about how Israel will be destroyed and the only, theft, the only thing remaining will be a stump. A stump. So the image is Israel is a stump. The God's people, God's chosen people ha- has been desolated. And what's left is just the remnants of what was living. There's something there. It's a stump. And then in chapter 10 of Isaiah, we kind of get this bit broader image of like the entire nation of Israel is like a forest of desolation of stumps, right? So the imagery of a stump is where we're starting here with chapter 11. Um, so let's go ahead and read that, and then we'll go, we'll go back and revisit and highlight a few things. Isaiah 11, verses 1 uh, through, we're going to read through part of 11. So there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from the roots from his roots shall bear fruit. As I mentioned, Jesse was the father of David. So the moment you start talking about something coming from Jesse, you're now in messianic territory. Now it's very clear. We're talking about the prophecy of the Messiah to come. That, that pulls forward from second Samuel, the prophecy that, that the Messiah would come from the line of David. Verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. You guys remember what I asked you to hold on to from that first passage I read? 2 Corinthians 5.17. We regard no one according to the flesh. That if, if we are living under the king and under the, this, the reign of this new king, we have to unpack that. We have to know what it means to regard no one under the flesh. In this passage, it says that this king to come will not judge anyone by what his eyes see or what his ears hear. And that is rooted in the, other, the, the end of verse 2 where it says the fear of the Lord. Now, that is something that's kind of confused me. I don't know if it confuses you. You could even look at the Bible itself and go, that makes no sense because we have the fear of the Lord. And then we hear in the New Testament where, where God is love and perfect love casts out fear. So how could you have fear in the presence of God and the fear of the Lord and no fear? And, um, you know, the largest command in the Bible the most repeated command in the Bible is two words, and it says, fear not. And then the reason given is always, for I am with you. The voice of God, 
fear not, for I am with you. So how can we have the fear of the Lord? And, and I don't think we have a very, very good um, understanding or way to connect this in English language or in our culture, the idea of what fear of the Lord. I've heard it called reverence, the reverence of God, like we revere God, but that's, that's almost not powerful enough. And then there's to stand in awe. I mean, I, I can imagine this, uh, this king, a characteristic of this king having a fear of the Lord. Well, if Jesus is God, how can he have the fear of himself? And, and it gets confusing, right? But to stand in awe of the glory of God. And then I think if you add to that, you also fear, uh, you, 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 you desperately want to make sure that you are um, using God as your anchor for your view of truth and grace instead of man. And that's really slippery. That's the one that resonates with me the most. When I talk about fear of the Lord, like I fear, and I'll say it this way, but it doesn't even sound right. Like I fear displeasing God. And it's not as if God is saying, please me. But I believe and I trust in the Lord and I know my own fickle heart. And I know that I can make decisions based on my fears and insecurities and my pride and my brokenness. And I know that I can judge people or condemn people by my eyes and my ears. And I know that when I do that, I am not standing with God. And that is fearful. There's fear in that. So I don't want to take away from the power of the word fear. But, but if we can remove the, um, the idea that, uh, I am standing in righteousness and I fear unrighteousness. It's, I know I can stand in unrighteousness and I fear the separation from God that happens with that. So I obey, I, I live in, in that. And so I delight that I have that as a boundary, as a check, as a, as a reminder. I delight in the fear of the Lord. I've never heard an explanation of the fear of the Lord that satisfies me, and that doesn't even satisfy what I just said. So I just pray that you wrestle with that because it's, it is the essence of what it means to have a righteous character and a good character is to have a fear of the Lord. That's going to be a major theme through today's message, the idea of the fear of the Lord. So hold on to that. Verse 4 says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now this is interesting right here in verse 6, because now we're getting into, you may remember the scene if you've read the C.S. Lewis Narnia books, um, but this, you'll, you'll recognize this right away. If I read this, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. You see what they're doing? Talking about like prey and predator. Prey and predator will live in harmony and peace. They will lie down, they'll graze together. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The lion won't eat the ox anymore. <laughs> the lion shall eat straw. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child put his hand over the adder's den. That's a, another way to say the, the, the home of the vipers, the, the snakes. Do you let your children play over snake holes, snake nests? We don't do that. 
don't do that. Don't look at this and say, well, the Bible says I'm going to put my toddler to put his hand over a snake hole. Like, we're not going to do that. This is talking about uh, the new king and the new kingdom to come. Verse 9, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So just as the waters cover the sea, which is, that's, permeates the sea, the water permeates the sea, the knowledge of the Lord is what will usher in this time of peace, this time where predator and prey are no longer uh, enemies, where there's, there's a peace. Now, if you look at verse 1, it said the shoot of Jesse, right? The, the offshoot, the branch of Jesse. Look what it says in verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, or stand for a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, verse 11, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. So in this text, we have the prophecy of Jesus the King coming the first time, and we have the prophecy of Jesus the King coming the second time. Both of those are in this. And that's good news for us, because as we are reading this anticipation of the King to come, that is still for us today. There is a coming Jesus. There is a return of the King and I think that, is, that gives us hope because we can look around our world and we can see some stumps. We can see some remnants of what used to be. But within those remnants, that stump is the source and the hope. It's the root and the shoot. It's the root and the shoot. How many of you want me to say of root right there? Like the root and the shoot of root. I wanted to say it. The root and the shoot of root, but it's not. It's the root and the shoot of our king, of our king to come. And we can read this both as, wow, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy, a prophecy, and there is more to come for us. There is hope. There's a new shoot for us that is emerging. And the, the part that's powerful in this is, is one, the idea of... Uh, uh, a fear of the Lord drives us to not judge each other to condemnation. You've heard it said probably and misquoted that Christians are not to judge. Judge not lest you be judged. Uh, that's not an accurate translation or, or understanding of that text. However, we should live in fear that we would condemn. We need to judge right and wrong. And this is a part that divides a lot of Christians and a lot of people. We need to divide right and wrong. We need to discern. And we need to stand for truth. But the problem is the way we have stood for truth has been so divisive, you wouldn't think of it as uh, a loving, discerning king. This calls us the signal of the kingdom to come. The signal of this character of the king that is discerning and just and fair and merciful and kind and good and loving, and offer second chances to everyone. It is God's desire that none perish, no, not one. There's a path to hope and restoration and redemption for every person. But sometimes we, and, and, and this is where I live in fear of the Lord, sometimes I sit in judgment of people that leads to condemnation. 
instead of sitting in judgment to, uh, to people that, of people that leads to their salvation. There's a big difference. There's a big, big difference. Let's look at John 3.16 and 3.17. John 3.16 and 3.17. You have it up there? Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's love for the world, his desire for the world to be restored and, and, and to be loved by him and to be in relationship with him was so great that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And verse 17 is more powerful, I think, for us today. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus doesn't judge based on what is seen and what is heard. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are a new creation. This is a recurring theme. But sometimes as Christians, we get it wrong. We get the messaging wrong. We get the story. We stand in judgment because we feel like to follow God and to, to be the signal for our king, we have to stand for what is right and we hold what is right with such judgmental, critical hands that the message of the love of Jesus is lost. This is a tension that's dividing churches everywhere and we're not immune to it. There are things that the Bible says and there's things that are just universally true that the world doesn't like right now. And we, as God's people, will be his signal for righteousness in a world that is moving more towards desolation. There's, there's a narrative of what is right and good in the world that's counterculture to what we believe, to what God teaches and what God shares. Now, Typically what happens when anyone feels like they're under attack, they gather all their friends that think like they do, they get in a room and they write their rules on the walls and they say, this is what we stand for. And it's, you're just singing to each other. But we are called to be a signal to the people. We care about the way we communicate with the people. So what the Bible says and what biology says about the beauty of marriage, God's design for marriage is between a man and a woman. That is beautiful. That is true. And God wants those who don't yet live in that or refuse to embrace that to know that they are loved, they're beautiful, that Jesus died for them, and that they can be restored unto right relationship with Jesus. And we love you. Full stop. It's both and. I, I believe that, that life starts at inception. I believe that. I believe the Bible echoes that. I think God's just the character of God and his, his love for creation. And the beauty of the design of the way we make, we procreate and we multiply and we, it's just so beautiful. Yes, I love Options Pregnancy Resource Center. It's a, it's a ministry that, that we believe in that gives people who find themselves unexpectedly pregnant options and lets them know it's so, so gracious and loving and kind. 
And if we're going to stand for that, we also have to stand for the woman who has had an abortion and let her know you're welcome here. We love you. There is hope and restoration for you. There's a second chance. We are the signal of the one who doesn't judge by the eyes and the ears. We're the signal of the one who has eternal hope and, and, and is eternally offering a new life, a new way, a new day. Because if you're like me, you need a new morning almost every morning. Like you need a new start. You need the past to be gone and behold, a new life is emerging. I tell you, I was saved when I was 15 years old and when I was 16 and another time when I was 16 and when I was 17. I've probably been saved a thousand times. And as I grow, I will be saved in new things. I will have a deeper understanding that the thing that I thought was condemnation is set free. I will have guilt and shame that things are trying to pull me down. The devil's trying to pull me down with guilt and shame and fear about things of my past and insecurities and brokenness. I need to be refreshed and new every morning. You're being saved, and in the future, you will be saved. This is sanctification. Can we, ha- can we be the signals where we stand for the truths of the Lord? And we don't forget that one of those truths is to bear one another's burdens and to love people that think differently than us and to embrace the sinners in our world as worthy of being judged by the way God judges them, not by our eyes and ears. This idea of fear of the Lord, if if you want to know if you fear the Lord, just think who, who, who influences your decisions the most? God or man? Who influences what you stand for, what you wear, how you present yourself, what you do with your career, what you do with your money, what you do with your time? What influences you more, the opinions of man or the opinions of God? Because you cannot fear God and man. If you live in that delightful fear of the Lord, you will find that there will be a culture that you're standing against. That is, that is part of it. Jesus even says, hey, do you think the slave is better than the master? If the master has been persecuted, do you not think you will be persecuted? Like, do not be surprised when suffering comes. This is a major theme of the Bible. And what it means to be a follower, do not be surprised when persecution comes. And for me in my life, I look back, there's all these little ways that persecution has come. There was a time where my, my, uh, I had a, a couple that came and stayed with us, and, and they weren't married. And we asked them if they would sleep in different rooms in our house. And they were deeply offended, and they went and got a hotel. I'm sorry. That was my conviction. I feared the Lord more than I feared them. And, I, and there were consequences. Right? So there are things like that that we are all called to when we are signaling the righteousness of the Lord. But we have to remember that our first call is not to judge and condemn people that are different than us. It's to, to be the signal of the Lord that hope and restoration is yours. That there is a place where you can come and belong and hear the gospel while you're figuring it out. 
there is a place where you can be loved and cared for while you're navigating this difficult thing in life. And it is difficult. We have to give it respect. There are reasons that there are issues that don't go away because they're complicated. So we need to be able to navigate those waters and be a signal of hope in the world. I love the idea of delighting in the fear of the Lord because it sounds so wrong, doesn't it? I delight in the fear, but, but that's really how it is. When you stand for truth and righteousness, but with a heart full of love and grace and compassion, you know you're confident that you're standing in fear of the Lord. And boy, that is there is delight in that, to know that I stand on common ground. And, and this is this, with God. This is sad in, in the church too because in our culture today we're so polarized. We're listening for things where people disagree with us, right? And so if I, in a sermon, and I make a reference to say, hey, we welcome your homosexual friends at our church. We love them. We believe in them. We believe God has a plan for them. We want them to be a part of our community because we really do and that's all true. The person who didn't hear their buzzword that day leaves without question or comment. But if we say, hey, we, we're just going to discern what the Bible says. The Bible says that his design, God's design is that marriage is between a man and a woman. And uh, that's what God defines as marriage. Uh, the moment I say that, there's a whole group of people that when they hear that buzzword of, of you're the enemy, they leave. And this is happening all the time. And it's sad. It, it literally, I don't think anything grieves me more as a pastor. Like this is the thing where we can't find unity because the world is calling us to division. But what I want to encourage us all is, let's focus on standing in the fear of the Lord. And when that phrase, stand in the fear of the Lord, means love and care and safety with you and God and a place for you to root and flourish and grow, keep wrestling if it doesn't mean that to you. Keep figuring that out. If standing in fear of the Lord sounds terrible to you, keep wrestling with it until it makes sense. And that wrestling, what you're doing is you're taking away the world's thinking of those words and that phrase, and you're putting on the mind of Christ. You're putting on the knowledge of God. And when we think about this, this Narnia-like land where animals are playing and frolicking together and children are playing with cobras, and there's no threat and no fear, that is attributed to this understanding and knowledge of the fear of the Lord permeating this whole earth as the water does the sea so much that even the animals are changed, that plants are changed, that I would even go so far that viruses don't exist. Like, because of this deep understanding, and this, this is the image of a new heaven and a new earth being restored under the second coming of Jesus. there are a lot of different ways to navigate and, and, and try to reconcile and make sense of this text. And, and I waded through a lot of hours of like, no, I'm not going to talk about amillennialism, millennialism. I'm not going to talk about that stuff, but it's all in there as mankind tries to make this idea fit into a framework 
And I just want to encourage you, don't, it doesn't matter because what we all agree is that in heaven, there'll be a new king, there'll be a king that everything will be submissive to. And that's what will make him a king. He won't be a king because he threatens us with heaven and hell. He won't be a king because he promises us riches. He'll be a king because we all have an understanding that we want to follow the king. And we will choose, all creation will choose to follow the king and we'll have a new kingdom, a new heaven, and a new earth. And we will all choose to be there. And there will be no sadness and no sickness. There'll be no disease. There'll be no death. There'll be no pain. There will be a good and righteous king standing in fear of God. And we will be his signal. We are his signal today. We're a signal to the world. Let's not lose our signal. Revelation twenty-two sixteen 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about things for the churches. I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He is our source and our hope. He is the root and the shoot. Now, how can we be the signal that this is calling us to in the hope of this king, of this king that has come and will come? I want to give you some really practical things. Put your hands to justice. There's brokenness in this world. There's things we can do to bring justice. There's the village resources. There's our food pantry. There's Options Pregnancy Resource Center. There's Love, Inc. in town. There's ways where you can help bring justice. Do you have a cause that you believe in? Put your hand to it. Let's be that signal. But in a posture that, that doesn't condemn Serve others personally in your life. Do you know someone who is an orphan or a widow? I think people who have it really difficult in our society today are single parents. Single parents are trying to navigate this world that they're carrying a huge burden. We can love them. We can serve them. We can sacrifice for them. Sacrifice for God's kingdom. Give time and resources to organizations and people doing God's work bringing God's kingdom, give to the church, give to ministries, give to missions, sacrifice for the sake of God's kingdom. Forgive. This is probably the biggest one and where it starts. Forgive. If you look at what the heart of refusing condemnation or not judging someone by what you see and what you hear, that means believing something better for them, that they're worthy of restoration, worthy of hope, worthy of forgiveness. Fear the Lord that you wouldn't stand on the opposite side of him at judgment day. Because when Jesus looks at your enemy that you're not forgiving, his judgment is going to be forgiven. And if your judgment over here was not forgiven, you're on the wrong side. We, wanna, we should live in fear of that. That everyone is worthy of redemption, and sometimes we forget that, and we sit in condemnation. I'm going to ask the band to come back up and, and lead us in worship as we reflect on next steps for today. I want to encourage you to reflect and be honest with, you, with yourself. Who runs your life? Who do you fear? What The decisions that you make in your day, in your career, in your time, 
in your demeanor, in your posture, the way you present yourself, what you think about yourself, what you feed yourself. Who determines that? That tells you it's an indicator of who your king is. Who's your king? And if you love Jesus, do what he says. Like, I'm just quoting Jesus there. He says, those who love me do what I say. The indication is those that don't are those that don't. And if you find yourself lost or you're missing, uh, you're missing your king, the glory of this whole story is that you are a humble prayer away from being restored to righteousness by just receiving the gift of this king as your Lord and Savior. And you may have to do it again and again and again. The disciples emulated this in, uh, when Jesus starts washing the feet of the disciples and basically Peter brings up this argument when Jesus says, uh, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can't have any part of me. And he says, well, wash my whole body then. He's basically saying, baptize me again. And Jesus says, no, 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 you've been saved, you've been baptized. Just the same forgiveness that brought you into my kingdom is the same forgiveness that keeps your feet clean so you can live in the freedom of my kingdom. You can be restored unto Jesus with just a humble prayer that you need Jesus to be your king. And then... Lift your heart to joy and to hope. And I would say, especially in the midst of the desolation where all you see is stumps, there's a shoot. There's a shoot of hope. And uh, one of my mentors said that it's not only a good idea to choose joy in the midst of your suffering, one would say it's a command to choose joy in the midst of suffering. You don't owe your suffering one minute of sadness. There's joy. Always reason for joy when you stand in fear of the Lord. Let's joyfully celebrate KJ's going to lead us through prayer, and I just want to ask you to put down whatever you're doing. And those of you at home, just shut off everything else in the world and just sit and let's do business with God. Let's, let's reestablish him as our king as we stand in fear, joyful, and we not just stand, we delight in the fear of the Lord. God, I thank you for your word that you, you call us back to you all the time. And we are prone to wander. We're prone to stray. We're, we're prone to give in to condemnation and judgment because, God, quite frankly, it's easier. It's easier to just label someone and condemn someone as something forever. So we're not wrestling with this tension of living in fear of you. But, God, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit where we would have wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear. Lead us in that way, our King, as we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.